there's not a lot of times where you can play a video and you can just say, okay, just pray and just end the service. I think the message is completely clear. Um, but the problem is don't be mistaken regarding what the message is, and that's kind of what today's sermon's about. Um, I'm going to talk a lot about food in a sense, but today's message is not about food. It's about something a little deeper than, than eating. Last week we uh, talked about idols, and we talked about exterior idols, idols that are outside of us. Well, this week we're going to talk about idols that are in us. For instance, if I was addicted to a PlayStation 4 or a Ferrari that I have never brought to church yet, <laughs> I don't have a Ferrari, I'll just being honest. <laughs> um, but you could say, okay, get rid of it. You know, get out, get that out your life, and you'll be okay. Like, okay, I could de- detach myself from it, and then you know, go to kind of some rehab and and redirect my life. But what happens if the idol is inside of you? What if you can't run from your idol? What if it's a part of you? Where do you go? What do you do? How do you free yourself from idols that are innate in your anatomy? Who do you turn to? I remember when I was a little boy. Um, many of you know my daughter, Asha. Um, my physical makeup was exactly like hers. Uh, she's thin as a rail, and I was thinner. And I remember I was so skinny growing up. I was insecure. And when anybody talked about being big, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I feel so bad in my heart. I'd be like, oh, I'm so skinny, I hate it. People laugh at me. I remember girls wouldn't even look at me because they looked, ooh, ooh. I had braces too. Oh, it gets worse. I was skinny, I had braces, and then I had glasses, and I had like really curly hair that my parents never cut. It was bad in the Bass household. But as I grew up, I realized I was really good in sports. And people kept coming to me and said, you know what, you need to gain some weight. I'm like, I know, I'm trying. There was a boy, his name was Tommy Michaels. I think when he was in junior high, he weighed about 220 pounds. And everybody used to talk about his eating habits. They were legendary. I mean, Tommy could eat 20 pancakes for breakfast. And I used to think about, man, I'm not man enough. Because I can't eat 20 pancakes. I need to get it together. So what did I do during breakfast? I took the challenge. And I tried to eat. And I used to gorge myself. I developed this bad habit of overeating. (laughs) Because I wanted to be big. And from that point forward, eating became a real challenge for me. I didn't address or I didn't go into the depths of bulimia or anorexia. But what I did is I used eating to build up my body. Now, my wife, uh, many of you don't know, she used to be a fitness competitor. She used to be one of those people on the stage who had, like, the muscles, and they were rippling out of her body. And she had to eat to live. She had to eat so much protein, and she had to do protein shakes. And, and when we got together, she was like, okay, I'm going to try to get you in shape because you got to shape. Did you even play pro football? And it's because I'm older now. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, my insecurities again. So I begin to work out again and get big. And I'm like, Argh! But nevertheless, eating became unhealthy to me. In a sense, I began to 
worship, not eating, but there was these impulses that resided in me that because I overate, that took away discipline for all these other areas of my life. A lack of discipline is a dangerous thing. Many of you, I don't have to say that. You know that. But when you can't moderate any area of your life externally, look inside. There may be something that you're wrestling with on the inside. When people talk about a Durance church, hopefully they talk about the, the theme of heart. We're a church about the heart. And here, this is a heart issue. Like we're going to talk about eating, understand that, but this is not about eating. What this is about is the condition of your heart toward God. Have you ever struggled with eating? I have. And when you eat, do you eat to live or do you, everybody knows it, live to eat? Now, this is not a sermon about dietary habits or changing your eating habits. That's not what this service is about today. This service is about your appetite or your impulses. And if you can't moderate them, then you can fall into idolatry. We could talk about the same topic regarding sex, or we could talk about money, or we could talk about clothes, or we could talk about family. Idolatry has many forms. But ultimately, if you give value to anything above God, anything above God, you're falling into idolatry. If you bow your will, like I was, to get big, and you eat and eat and eat so you can gain two pounds. You're not trying to hear God. I'm trying to get fine on the outside. And as a result, I didn't even think about God. All I thought about was building my body so I could play football, which worked, which led to college football, which led to professional football. And in my path, eating became a habit that I didn't know led to me worshiping my appetites, worshiping my desires, worshiping my impulses. And those things almost destroyed me. So what does God want us to watch out for regarding having a full stomach? How does God want to monitor what we put in our hearts and minds and in our mouths? Albert Einstein had this quote. I want you to think about it. He says, an empty stomach is not a good political advisor. Really interesting concept. If you can't open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Pastor Vashon didn't know that we were coming out of Philippians today, but he was in, in alignment with the Spirit. <laughs> so thank you. Hopefully uh, you're having a good morning. I don't know what the weather's going to be like the rest of the week, but I'm so thankful you came out. Uh, last week during small groups, I heard it was phenomenal. Everybody called me and said, small groups was so awesome. And I was like, Yes. And uh, our numbers are getting bigger because more people are coming. Um, and I think people are happy with what's going on in our small groups. We have some good facilitators. We made a couple adjustments, and I feel like uh, we're, really, we're really going in the area. The way we structure our small group right now is we take the, the main points. I think it was already shown, the main point, and we actually try to break that down. How do we apply that point to our lives? If you have kids, don't feel afraid that you don't or or self-conscious that you can't bring your kids there. We have kids downstairs in the area so they can hang out and play, so don't feel like you can't bring your kids. And um, if you want to come, uh, there's no food there because um, I wanted to have time to eat at home. Um, so if you want to come, uh, you can either eat before or eat after. It's totally up to you. 
Uh, we're using Greg's house right now. Greg has two stories, so um, we don't want to destroy everything in his house right now, walking through like we've been doing so far. Uh, so for those of you who have been going, hopefully you can continue to do so and continue to grow. Uh, so we're going to address this topic today in Wednesday's uh, small group, all right? Let me pray and let's get started. Father God, in the brief time I have, I ask you, Lord God, to help me communicate your word effectively in a way that gives you glory. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 and 17 through 21. Um, the book of Philippians is probably the most beloved book in the New Testament. What's the one scripture everybody quotes from the book of Philippians? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everybody uses it out of context, but it's a good scripture nonetheless. God, I can do all things. I can win this video game. God, I can do all things. I can make more money. God, And the point of the scripture was God can help you be content whether you're rich or whether you're poor. That's the content of that scripture. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippian was a, Philippi was a city where Roman soldiers would go to retire. They had all false gods there. But there was an uh, a underlying theme of discipline that resided within the city. This church was amazing. They were poor, but they were still giving to God. And Paul was like, man, you are doing your thing. I wish all the churches were like you. But they were having a problem. Every time Paul, who was a Jewish man, went out to preach the gospel to somebody else, there was a group of Jewish people that would always follow behind him and undermine every single thing he said. Paul would say, the only way you need to be saved is to trust Jesus Christ. Just put your faith in him. And these Jewish people would follow right behind him and say, no, you have to do more than trust. You have to do these good things. You have to keep the law. You have to be circumcised. And there was this big war that was going on between Paul and these people who, in a sense, trusted the law above God's grace. And Paul had to straighten people out. He'd go and preach, and then he'd leave, and he has to come back and write a letter. And this is who Paul is addressing in this letter. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now he says, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious. So what is he saying? He's like, I've already written to you before about this topic. He said, I'm going to do it again. It's not a problem. He said, but for you, it's safe. Now I use some harsh language. <laughs> he would get in trouble in our day. He's not very tolerant right here. He says, beware of the dogs. He's referring to a specific people, Jewish people, who are telling the Gentiles that they need to observe the law to be saved. He's calling them dogs, which was a negative, a pejorative term. It was a derogatory term Jews used for Gentiles who were wild. They were amoral, not even immoral, amoral. And the Jews would call Gentiles because they had no morality, dogs. No cleanliness, dogs. Now Paul, in a sense of irony, is calling these Jews dogs. It's a play on words. And he says here, beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. What is he referring to there? These Jews who are saying you need to be circumcised in order to be right with God. He's addressing these people specifically because these Jews are trying to tell these Christians in order to be right with God, yeah, believe in Jesus, but, and, 
it's Jesus and nothing. But they're saying Jesus and circumcision is the way. Jesus and the 613 laws are the way. So Paul is trying to get them to know for sure these people are not right. They're not good. He calls them evil workers. Now he says this, for we are the circumcision. (laughs) He just contrasted his language. Who worship God in the spirit. This has been a historical progression here. God, from the beginning of time, has tried to get humanity to circumcise their heart, meaning take off the flesh, the foreskin, the sin, in order to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, if you notice, I'm looking at you more than normal because I said I went to a speaking clinic and I'm supposed to stare at you for five seconds when I talk, okay? So don't feel uncomfortable. You've done nothing wrong. I'm just, (laughs) I see some of you like, oh, what are you doing? So he says this, rejoice in Christ. I love when he says that. He says, have no confidence in the flesh. Okay? And most people, when they hear flesh in the Bible, what do they think? Lust. That's what most people think, flesh. Oh, stinking flesh. Lust. Sensual sins. He's talking about sensuality, but look at how he identifies what the flesh is. It's so interesting. He says, and have no confidence in the flesh, for though I might have confidence in the flesh. Wait a minute. He says, have no confidence. But he says, speaking hypothetically, I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, and here he goes, I more so. Paul's saying, if any human being in the world should be confident in their flesh, he's like, it's me. Oh, Paul, come on. You're proud. No, he's trying to make a point. I'm sorry. (laughs) He's trying to make a point here. If anybody on this planet should be confident of the flesh, it's me. Now, you could still think he's talking about the body. Not necessarily so. Look at what he says. He says, I more so, verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. Why is that important? Because every Jewish boy had to be circumcised on the what day? He's like, I'm right. He says, of the stock of Israel. He said, I'm, a, I'm in the line of Israel. I'm born. I'm pure Israeli. I'm pure Jewish. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I'm just not any tribe. I come from the tribe of Benjamin. Like, my dad, dad's 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 dad, <laughs> was Joseph. He said, I am pure stock. Remember, of the flesh. Let me see. Hebrew of Hebrews. He's like, you won't find another Jewish person more perfect than me. Now, if you want to be, I would say my brain shocked and amazed for myself. When you think about who the Jews thought the Messiah would be, Paul fills out the criteria. Paul was everything a Jewish man or a Jewish mind wanted. He could trace his family all the way back. He was a Jew of Jews. And if anybody had the background to be the Messiah, it was Now listen to this. He goes off this anatomy or this background. He goes concerning the law of Pharisee. What is he saying? You know the Pharisees. People make straw men out of Pharisees. The Pharisees were the most biblical, literate human beings that ever existed. 
The Pharisees represent the holiest, I know it's a word people don't like, the holiest a human being could be with their own efforts. The Pharisees could memorize scores of the Bible from memory and recall it at the right place, at the right time, in the right context. If I ask you, does anyone have a book of the Bible memorized? Who could raise their hand? Rhetorical, please don't. (laughs) They memorized whole books of the Bible, the entire Old Testament. They had dedicated to memory. And I have struggled with John 3, 16. And God says, I'm his righteousness. The Pharisees would say, you're not righteous. You don't even know the Bible. It's not about our knowledge. It's about our trust in him. He goes on to say, concerning zeal, persecuted the church. Now, this is a great analogy because what he's saying is, I was so zealous of my faith that I killed Christians because I thought that's what God's will was for me to kill other people who didn't necessarily worship God but worship this guy named Jesus. He said, no one had more zeal than me. Now, listen to this. Concerning the righteous which is within the law, blameless. He said, according to what I know, I was perfect. Now listen to this, seven. But what things were gained to me, these I counted as loss for Christ. I'm going to go on a little bit further here. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered a loss of all things and count them rubbish that I may gain Christ. He's trying to say, man, I was perfect. In today's culture, he would be, throw a name out there he'd be wealthy you would say he'd be in a wealthy family I'm, tr- I'm, I'm trying hard not to throw out a political name he'd be a Kennedy I'm just throwing out stuff out there he'd be a Michael Jordan kid he'd like man I have the pedigree he's a Clinton kid he's perfect and he's like I threw all that away All the advantages of my birthright, all the advantages of my education, Harvard trained, Oxford trained, he had it all. And he threw it all away for Jesus. Nine, and may be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And this is the part I love. This part brings me to tears almost every time I read it. Look at this, verse 10. He says, that I may know him. This word is a sexual word. It's, he's like, I threw all this away for one thing. That I may know him. And it's so amazing, Paul the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Jews of Jews. This guy who went to the third heaven is like, man, I still have this desire to know him. I mean, you would think, Paul, this guy has the Bible memorized. He's going around planting churches that stayed, and he still has the desire to know him. Let me keep going. And the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. He, he threw a lot of baggage in there. He's like, not only do I want to know him, but I'll go through anything I need to go through in order to be resurrected from the dead. I'm willing to be obedient to death that I might be with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Brethren, join, this is the part I want to focus on, join following my example and note those who walk, who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, whom I have told you often and now tell you weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. This is the point of the whole scripture. Whose God is their belly, whose God is their belly. Their God is their belly. As I'm studying, trying to figure, Lord, where is it? what does he want me to go? I go to the scripture, like, wait a minute. Their God is their belly? And I stop. Their appetites, their emotions, their desires, their impulses rule their life. Paul is like, please listen to me. If there's another person, whether he's a pastor, a prophet, apostle, it doesn't matter what he claims to be. If there's a person whose God is their belly, if they're led by their appetites, they're led by human desires and not the desires of God, he's like, they are the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, he, he goes into more detail. I like it. He says, 19, who's end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. <laughs> it's like these people, they're focused on getting all that they can get now here on earth. They're preaching that. They're preaching it's all about getting it now, heaven on earth right now. You can get all what you want now here on earth. He's like, these people are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And this is what he says in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So at the end, he goes from the body all the way back to the body. And he's trying to say, it doesn't matter how attractive or smart, how intelligent, how emotionally wise, how deep or how low. It doesn't matter how you are physically in the flesh, your impulses or emotions, all of those things will be redeemed in heaven. We're all getting new bodies. You can't listen always to the voice of your body. My body's talking to me right now. I'm not singing an R. Kelly song, but it is. And my body, you know what it's saying to me right now? Your back hurts. I need water, please. Your back hurts. Thank you. <laughs> and this is why no one sits right here, because I do it all the time. I apologize. You listen to your, and I don't, you know, I just said that. You listen to your bodies above the will of God. Your body talks to you. Some of you are sitting in the hard seats. If you're in the back row, it's you. Or in the front row, it may be you. And your body's saying, man, this seat is uncomfortable. Some of you had a long night last night. 
it was long. And your body's like, man, when I hit that bed, it's over. This is for protection. Thank you for chilling. <laughs> that was the Lord. Because <laughs> you, know, you know there was a pastor, this is totally off subject, by the way. There was a pastor one time who was baptizing people. And he's in the baptismal pool. And he asked for the mic, the court, the mic with the court, and died. Because he electrocuted himself. And what about a check? That, I mean, I could have been, I'm sorry. Let's get into the points and we're done. <laughs> this is the church. I'm sorry. What do you need to know? I tried hard to communicate to you the background of the text. A lot of people go through the Bible. They never even touch the Bible. I feel like if you know the Bible, you can apply it to your own life. This, this church is not about me and my knowledge. You come to me. I don't want you to come to me, only if you have to. But I want you to be so immersed in God that you hear God's calling for your life. I've been in churches, 10,000 plus people, where everybody has to come to the church and surrender their own ministry for the ministry of the pastor. That's not what this church is about. This church is about you answering God's calling for your own life. You have a ministry. You have gifts. And I hope this church can be a foundation, a platform for you to take off and change the world. My heart has always been to be the pastor of C.S. Lewis. Who was his pastor? That man had a pastor. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a preacher. But he went to church every day. And there was somebody there who had the intellect, the wisdom, to be able to minister to the heart of C.S. Lewis, one of the most influential Christians since the Apostle Paul. This church is not about me. That's all they say. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. This church is about you doing what God's called you to do. What do you need to know? Those who worship God set their minds on heaven. However, those who worship their belly have devoted their will to eat above the will of God. You have impulses. We all do. Proclivities, as the scholars would say. You have a bent. You have a natural inclination. And you can't give yourself to those natural inclinations wholeheartedly. Because the Bible says we're all sinners. Sin goes down to the DNA. You're off emotionally, intellectually. You're off. We're all jaded. We're marred. God is going to give us renewed bodies. We don't have them now. I question everything about myself. I question my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings, my capacity. Yes, some of my injuries have been because of the NFL. I've been hit in the head. I know it. I take Ginkgo Biloba. I do, Vicky. I take it. I take brain pills. I take stuff to make my, my brain. I don't pray my brain's going to fall apart. It might. But this body is passing away, and God will give me a new one. So I can't live my entire life worshiping my body that's dying. My body is falling apart all the time. But God promises a new body, a resurrected one. Trust God for the new body. If your body speaks more loudly than the voice of God, there's something we call a physical. Let me try it again. I <laughs> there's something we call, whew, don't raise your hand, it's rhetorical, but it also it's a, a question. Who here has fasted in the last month? Don't raise your hand. Fasting helps to curb your appetites. 
We all have desires. We all want to do things. And sometimes, man, why can't I stop doing that? Fast till you last. They say, pray you stay, fast you last. You come to a church and talk about fasting? Oh, I'm never coming back here. Please come back. My job is just to try to help you. If you incorporate fasting in your life, reading your Bible, going to church, praying, I guarantee you, you'll have the capacity to receive more from God. God is trying to pour himself into you. But if you're in the way, how can he do it? God's will be done in your life. God wants to will his world, his reality through you. But if you're so caught up in the will of your body, your appetites, your flesh, your background, your lineage, you can't possibly do God's will. Pull back. If you try to pull back from something, you realize, man, if I pull back, I'll die. Some people, they have trouble tithing. And I'm not, I'm not a money guy, per se, but I am a giving guy. Some people are like, man, I can't tithe because if I tithe, I'm going to die. The issue is trust, whether it be tithing, whether it be fasting, spending time in God's word. God has a plan for you, and that only happens when you spend time with God. What do you need to know? Why do you need to know that? So you can identify the motive of the one claiming to be sent to preach God's message. Now, this is the part the, the sermon kind of flips, so I'm not talking about myself necessarily. But Paul says, watch those people who have sacrificed for Jesus. That's one of the most important parts of the scripture. He's like, don't follow somebody who has not sacrificed for Jesus. He's like, if you see somebody sacrificing for God, follow that person. But if you see somebody who can't sacrifice for Christ, do not follow them. Why? He said, because those people have a heart for this world. And the one who is sacrificing is the evidence, that's, that's the evidence that they have their heart stored in heaven. It's, it's God's kind of radar. Man, I want to read this guy's book. There's some pastors out there that are worth $500 million plus dollars. I don't think I'll ever be worth that much. I, don't, I said think, Frazier. I might mean read it. Who knows? Who knows? 500 million. Imagine how much you could do with 500 million dollars. What do you need to do? You need to follow those who are sacrificing pleasures on this earth for God who is in heaven. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, another one went there. I was like, I'm so confused right now. <laughs> Follow those who are sacrificing pleasures on this earth for God who is in heaven. See, now, what's my challenge as the pastor of the church? I can't show you my sacrifices. I can't sit there and say, to, hey, here's my list of all the sacrifices I made this week. I can't show you that. But you have to, through prayer and time with God, look and discern those people who have made sacrifices for Jesus. And those people who have sacrificed, you lock into those people. I'm not saying you just try to do everything they do, but lock in and watch their lives. Isn't it so easy to say, you know what, it's all about here and now. I know people who've walked away from church because, you know what, i got to have more now. I need, I need my big house now. I need my car now. I need my security now. And John 6, 6, 6 says what? 
many of his disciples did not follow him anymore because his sayings were too hard. It's worth following Jesus. It's worth it. You got to trust him. Why do we need to do it? So you can receive your heavenly body. You can't listen ultimately to your body, to your impulses. God has a body waiting for you with impulses that are pure and right. There will be a time when your body starts to fail. That's a fact. Everybody knows that. There's going to be a time when you're not going to feel good and you won't recover. I hate to say it. Rapture may come right now. Lord, bring it now. <laughs> Let us get around. Who, who does? You, you can raise your hand right now with me. Who wants to be raptured right now? Go to heaven now. But you know what? Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> but it may not happen. What happens when I don't feel good and I can't feel good? When miracles don't come and healings don't happen? Is there anything inside of me that still trusts God? I try not to preach words that make you feel good all the time. I, I want to preach words that make you as a couple go back and say, man, could Pastor Bass be right? I'm so serious. I want to say things that the, the Bible says that you go back and wrestle with. Can this be true? I don't want to just say words and people leave here and say, yeah, church was awesome. What did he preach about? I don't know, but I felt so good leaving church. I don't want that. I want you to go back and say, wait a minute, was he right? Can that be true? If you do that, then I am succeeding. Because it's about your relationship with God. Dive in there. What else do you have? Peter was like, we have nowhere else to go but to Jesus. You can go home. There's no more football. It's depressing times. Vikings didn't win anyway, so it's okay. We weren't in the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter. Cam Newton lost or Peyton Manning won. It doesn't matter. We're in the political season now. People are going to be divided. I'll say this one point. I'll jump off because I know Donna won't like my political statements. But the gates of hell have been poured out on both parties. You don't like it, but that's the truth. God's kingdom is coming. That's what it says in Daniel. God's kingdom wins. I'm part of a monarchy. 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 Oh, <laughs> that didn't come out right. You know what I mean? How can I help you remember? Here we go, Adam. All right. This next point is important. This is my dramatic pause because I can move in here. Remember. No, no, one before it. Is there not one there? What is going on? This is the point. Don't look at the screen then. If you only worry about being fine, fine. I'm not fine. I'm just saying. I'm, just, I'm trying to say it. If you only worry about being fine, then you most assuredly will not ever be fine. Oh, you don't know that one. Don't worry about it. If you only worry about being fine, look at me. Don't worry about that. This is all. This is all. If you only worry about being fine, You'll never be fine. If you only worry about being fine, you'll never be fine. I had a rough week, just like probably some of you did. I know some of you <laughs> did. I felt bad this week. Nothing really happened. I just felt like trash. Paul said, my past life was rubbish. It was trash. 
sometimes I look for hope too. I'm there too. Sometimes I want to know, man, God, what's happening? I mean, what? I don't even know if my desires are right 90% of the time. When I get up here, I'm responsible to make sure my motives are right. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I don't know if my motives are right. When people come to me with problems, I'm like, I don't even know if I have the answer. <laughs> when I look at the bills, I'm like, I don't know if I have the bills or the money. When it's time for me to preach, I'm like, I don't even know if it's going to make sense. So I got to trust God for every single step. We won't always have heavy sermons. I just want you to understand the point of this life is trusting the words of Jesus Christ. That's it. There's a man named Jesus Christ who didn't write down one word, but all of history points to him. Is it a coincidence? Do you believe that? Are you willing to put all your chips in the center of the table and say, I'm, I'm down with Jesus? This is a church. We don't try to make people feel good, per se, by the sermons, but we want to love on you outside of that. We have great people here. We do. And today's Valentine's Day, the day of love. God's love won. I believe in hell. I believe eternal punishment. I do. I believe in heaven. And I believe in eternal life. And I believe this life, we have a choice. This is just about our choice. Did you, to, did you choose Jesus in this life? Did you choose him? Did you not just choose him, but did you obey him? So remember, if you only focus on your body, you miss out on getting your body. Taking a step of faith, most people kind of articulate like it's just one step. Taking a step of faith is choosing to live for Jesus Christ every single second. It's about trust. You know, I know giving, tithing is hard. I talk about that because we, I can, it's empirical. It's hard. Why? Because so many people have abused it. I know there are churches here to my left, to my right, who have closed down that pastors embezzled the money. I know that. You still got to give. You're not giving because of me. You're giving for yourself. Don't you realize you're giving because God is trying to conform your character to the image of Jesus Christ? God wants you to be generous. And giving is money is just not about giving money. It's about giving your time, your talent, your treasure. But money is a very vital part of it because too many people here in our culture make money a God. What if God takes it all away? Is he still the good, good father? What if God takes away your wisdom? Is he still a good, good father? What if he takes away your looks, your family, your children? Is he still good? Trust me, I, I cringe at that. There's pain ahead of us. But the Bible says Jesus looked ahead. He saw the joy that was before him. And because he believed that, he was able to endure the pain. 
Can I pray for you? Is there someone here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? While all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if there's someone here today and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior while everybody's looking down, please raise your hand and we want to pray for you. If there's someone here today that you walked away from Jesus and you want to come back to him, you want to get right with him again, you know you've been off. Someone here today, I want you to raise your hand and we'll pray for you. Is there anyone? While everybody's heads bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to pray for you really quickly. Father God, I ask you to bless these people here today, Lord God. They've been so patient and so, so good. I ask you, Father God, that you encourage their hearts and mind. Give them strength to make it to the rest of the day. I pray, Father God, they just don't go here and forget this sermon, Father God. Amen. I remember all the words, Lord God, but I pray they remember that there is a God inside of us, and it may not be you. And I pray, Lord God, if it is, Lord, to dethrone that God. They'll, they'll tear down those false gods, those idols. And, Lord God, they'll put you on the throne of their heart. And I pray, Father God, as they do that, you will get glory out of their lives. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, today is Valentine's Day, and we have some Valentine's vittles in store for you out there in the Fourier area. Uh, we've kind of devised this area out there for, um, for you to fellowship and hang. For those of you, this is your first, second, third, or maybe fifth time, you haven't been here in a while, we have small group, and it's every Wednesday. If you want to come and connect outside of church, please connect with Greg. He is the bald-headed guy who's smiling shorter. Uh, but he's if you say bald-headed, shorter guy, Greg will come out there. How else do I describe Greg? I mean, give me another example. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Verification. We're two and three are together. Um we want you to have a good Valentine's Day. Hopefully, women, if you've been here, you've received a rose. Um, it's our way of saying thank you for coming out and worshiping with us today. And uh, I just want you to be go out and be blessed. So um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you.